I find it funny that I wrote a book about how I failed miserably as a speechwriter and I get invited to a conference on speechwriting to explain to you how to fail. Um, yesterday I, I came and, and spoke to Brian for about an hour and um, I had a talk all written out and I was going to uh, you know more or less memorize it and 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 slash read it and I decided at some point that it was just kind of boring and so I left here and I sat down at a Starbucks and I wrote this, which will be much more interesting. Um, I'm currently, um, as was mentioned, writing a, a book on political consultants. And um, if you don't know that much about what consultants do, I, I think that you will in time, um, because all of our bad stuff eventually comes here. Um, um, but first, let me just say a couple of things about what I regard as speech writing at its best, um, or to put it differently, the role of uh, stringing words together in political life that has a, a really um, powerful effect. Um, and I'm going to um, push this audience just a little bit by first bringing up George W. Bush. And I remember, I lived here from 2000 to 2003, and I remember how popular he was here. Um, although now you all probably wish with the specter of Trump, could we, could we just go back to that guy? Um, um, the, uh, the, the speech that um, um, President Bush gave uh, in October of 2001, so this would have been a month after September 11th or so, um, that was the speech in which he used the phrase axis of evil. Now, I was here and the day after that speech, I was in um, what at the time was, I think, James Thin, the bookstore on George Street. And as I sat sort of eavesdropping on people, which is what you do in these kind of cafes, um, I remember hearing these two um, local uh, gentlemen debating, not much of a de debate, I don't think, but they were both discussing um, this phrase, axis of evil. And I thought that was remarkable that one uh, alliterative phrase could make its way around the world so quickly. Now, whatever you think about the meaning behind the phrase, and it had to do with a new policy, which was later called the Bush Doctrine, although there was arguments about what that, that term really meant. Um, what the phrase was referring to was a policy in which the United States would no longer distinguish between uh, terrorist organizations and state supporters of terrorist organizations or no longer draw a sharp distinction between the two. Now, whatever you think about that policy is not the point. My point is that that was maybe a debate that should have been had. Maybe, maybe um, the, the, dis the distinction between these two entities and what um, the West's 
uh, stance towards them should be, that was a thing worthy of debate. I think we probably could all agree on that at least. And that one phrase is, was the most important thing in the speech. Um, and I mention this example because um, we were talking earlier about what makes a good speech. I tend to think that um, many speeches are either, well, they're either boring, um, it's just a lot of boilerplate, or they're so full of florid phrases, um, uh, you know, poetic sounding language. I, honestly, I think some of President Obama's speeches, not all, are, are guilty of this. Um, they're so full of these kinds of phrases that the phrases that you remember from the speech are not actually the most important points. So you go away and you think about some, it was a beautiful way of putting something, but the something wasn't particularly important in context. Whereas the axis of evil speech, I think that phrase was, uh, there's some debate, but um, written by a guy called David Frum, who's now a political commentator, worked as a speechwriter at the time. Um, that speech had the effect with one phrase of making you debate even somebody at James Thin, um, I'm okay, thank you. Um, going last, by the way, is, it really sucks. Um, <laughs> you spend the whole day being nervous. Um, um, one phrase made you debate, people all over the world debate the thing that um, the speaker wanted you to debate. Um, a second example, um, and I think maybe this one you might have more sympathy for, um, Hillary Clinton's recent um, remark that um, half of Donald Trump's supporters were a basket of deplorables. That to me is a remarkable phrase. Whatever one's policies or, or politics or feelings about Trump, number one, a basket. Who says ba Who would think of saying basket <laughs> in, that, in that phrase? I mean, if, if she had said uh, um, something like um, a lot of nasty people, well, maybe it would have made a headline, you know, the next day or, or whatever, but no one would have been, you know, talking about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. But, um, and then using deplorables, um, which in English, I'm not sure that deplorable is ever used as a noun in that way. Um, um, it may be, I don't know. Um, but not typically. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful phrase, actually. Um, w whether it's true or not, we'll, I'll leave someone else to debate. But, um, but my point here, again, is that um, for weeks, um, you know, and I, re I recognize that um, Trump's supporters sort of gleefully, or some of them anyway, gleefully took up this, this, um, this uh, descriptor deplorables um, and, and they were quite happy about it, which is fine. But the debate that that phrase um, elicited was whether or not Trump's supporters were a lot of nasty people, which is precisely the debate Hillary Clinton would have preferred you to have um, with just one phrase. So I think, I just mentioned these examples and they're very random and, um, and, and not especially important in themselves, but just to illustrate um, at least what I regard as 
a very effective use of language in, in political life. Now, um, political consultants. This, so keep that in mind. And when I say consultants, it's a very broad term. And it's a bit like the term um, in American, American um, social sciences and, and so forth, evangelical. Nobody really knows what it means, um, but people throw it around all the time. Um, but consultants, um, and there are, there are some um, very capable and I think, I think good consultants who, I mean, it's, um, these are people who um, politicians hire to run their campaigns or hire to, um, to give counsel about which issues they should emphasize at which times. Okay, it's, that's, a, that's a fair practice, I think. Um, but um, there's a certain kind of consultant who is, is, um, is, is fundamentally something very um, dishonest. And consultants tend to hold um, politicians enthrall by their alleged mastery of the political process. And they understand you know, all the demographics and which phrases uh, connect um, with certain phrases, uh, certain um, constituencies, and um, which issues uh, resonate, or as George W. Bush used to say, resignate, um, <laughs> which isn't a word. Um, so, um, and the politicians are, are quite happy to be held in thrall by these people, or many of them, and they pay them large amounts of money. Um, it is, let me say, that there is one um, thing that Donald Trump has done, which, which I think is actually a good thing in some ways. And that is, he made fools of the consultant class in the United States. Um, when Donald Trump um, started his campaign, and this was the case all the way throughout, I think it's probably somewhat less so now, but certainly, uh, all the, all the way up. Um, his idea was, I'm gonna go into a stadium, the largest uh, arena that this city or town can hold, and I'm gonna fill it, and I'm gonna talk for an hour and talk about who knows what, but I'm gonna entertain these people, and they're gonna love me, and it's gonna be great. Uh, <laughs> that was it, I mean, that was the strategy. Um, Whereas um, Ted Cruz, um, who was a, his campaign was very disciplined, um, um, very targeted, um, very aware of different constituencies and how to interpret them and so forth. Um, his was, Cruz's campaign was almost um, uh, obsessively consultant driven, um, got beaten by a guy who's, strategy was just to fill really large stadiums. Um, so and that is one thing I think that Trump has done, which I'm, I sort of feel pleased about, even though I'm sure that I will regret that one day. Um, how much money do consultants make? Nobody really knows. Um, but there's, there was a great book a few years ago by a guy called Ken Vogel, um, who writes for Politico. Uh, political magazine uh, newspaper in, in Washington. And so since 
um, Ken couldn't figure out how much consultants make because it's not public knowledge. You can't, you can't um, submit a freedom of information request for this. Um, what he did was he um, looked at where certain high-profile consultants lived eight years ago and where they live now. <laughs> and he drove around to their residences and, um, and took a look. And the, the contrast was unbelievable. Um, these people are making large amounts of money, and these would have been um, but consultants of both parties, but particularly, in this case, um, Republic, uh, Republican consultants who lost the election. <laughs> and yet, they're still making enormous amounts of money, apparently. Um, so I mention all that um, just to say that um, if, I could, if I could just draw this distinction, there's a consultant-driven mindset in a politician, and there's a, and there's a mindset driven by language. Or um, a politician can think in terms of uh, um, con consultant-driven analysis, um, which, which, um, which themes work with which constituencies, how, which ads should I run and when, and, and so forth. Or there's a mindset that asks, um, what sort of language do I need to convey this message? Now, when a, and this is, I touched on this in, in my book, um, when a, when a speechwriter goes to work for a politician, there's, a, there's often a disconnect. And the disconnect is, is not known by the speechwriter. Um, and it's this, the, the writer thinks, oh, this politician needs language. Um, he needs language out there. He needs someone to help him string words together so that he can use them in an effective way. That's not actually what the politician thinks in many cases. Not in all, but in many cases. What the politician thinks is, well, the language is all in here. I just need somebody who will save me time. I think somebody earlier was mentioning just uh, the time-saving thing. I just need somebody who will who will you know, spend some time with me and be able to, to write it so I don't have to spend time writing it. Um, that is a very unhelpful way to look at speech writing or, or any kind of political writing. Just somebody who will um, um, be able to take what's already in here and, and be able to put it down on paper. But it lends itself to a consultant mentality, I think. Um, the, the many times, not always, but many times, the politician believes that he or she is going to accomplish his or her goals, not by using language in a certain way to do it, but just by the sheer force of his own character and personality. And so the language is already in here and, and, and it's just gonna be me who does it. And I don't need anybody to help with the language. Um, I just need somebody to, to take it down and I, then I won't have to do it. And I can do other things. I can appear before audiences and this kind of thing. Um, I think that, that that's actually a very dangerous kind of mindset. And um, I think that a, a, 
a writer, if I could do it again, which I won't do it again because who would hire me? Um, um, but if I could do it again, I would really try much harder I would, to, um, to earn the credibility. Um, you know, you have to start out parroting the stuff that's already in his head. You have to because that's what he wants. Um, but over time, earn the credibility to um, be able to to present to your boss um, new language um, and creative ways of using that language that um, w will appeal. Um, but you're, I think that, and this is what I'm trying to get at in what I'm writing right now, um, I think that um, you're battling a against that consultant mindset, which is very, um, it, it, it's not about language at all. It's, it's just about um, uh, constituencies and demographics and ads and so on. Um, that's, that's where I am in my thinking. Um, I don't have any answers. I don't have any hope. <laughs> um, except to the extent that the truth is, is hope. Um, um, and I'll just say one other thing. The consultants in where I live, there are consultants at the national level, but I, I, I work at the state level. I live in South Carolina. And the consultants where I live um, are much worse even than the ones that operate in, 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 at the national level in Washington. A consultant where I live um, um, sort of trades on um, mis the mystique of, of um, expertise. And so I'll give you a, a one story. I was, um, when I was working for, for um, the governor of our state, um, there was some sort of, um, um, you know, one of these lobbyist things where there's a lot of food. <laughs> That's all I remember. A lot of, there was a lot of food and a lot of drinks and whatever. And this guy comes up to me. And he starts asking me, um, and I was just a low-level um, guy in our, nobody knew who I was, but this guy somehow knew that I worked for the governor. He approached me, and he starts asking me a lot of questions about this one bill. And the bill struck me as fairly insignificant. I don't remember, something about maybe um, med medical equipment would be um, free of sales tax or something like that, something nobody cares about. But this guy seemed really interested. And he kept querying me on, on what, what we thought about the bill. I don't remember what I told him. But he walked away. And a colleague of mine explained this to me. He said, that guy is, is a consultant. Um, he's a political consultant. He, he has one of the bigger consultancies in, in the capital. What he's going to do is go back to his um, principal or the people who are paying him and he's going to say and they're the ones pushing pushing this bill or wanting this bill vetoed I don't remember and this guy is going to say I've talked to the governor's people they understand this um, he's not going to veto it okay uh, they were going to veto it now they're not going to that is not true okay but according to my friend that is what that is the presentation he was going to give to his principal, who would have been, you know, some, some um, 
organization pushing these kinds of things. Um, so my point is, it's all built on mystique, and it's it's very much in in um, against um, you the use of of language in creative ways in politics. And with that, with those very sad thoughts, I'll um, take any questions. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, one of your ideas is that this uh, consultant mindset uh, doesn't have so much to do with language. But isn't it so that consultants do want to uh, send targeted messages to, to a certain group of people? And isn't that something to do with language? It, it is. It, it's, it's to do with language, yes. I think it's to do with a much lower level of language and an almost barbaric use of language. Almost like a, um, a, a commercial ditty, you know, um, come and buy our carpet or whatever. <laughs> That's not actually music. Um, but it, it's a form of music maybe, but it's, it's at it's such a low level that it's almost um, not worthy of the name. Is there in your experience, is there no ideology behind some of the consultants? I, I always remember mm -hmm. in Britain you had Philip Gold who wrote yeah. an excellent book and he used to work for the Labour Party in the very difficult 1980s and then he was entirely ignored as being the, the communications director or whatever it was. And then someone said to him, you know, you only get listened to if they pay you for it. So yeah. he set up an advertising company actually wanting only one customer, which was the Labour Party, yeah. and he made a very good living, and he made his party great again, as the Donald yeah. would say. Yeah. But are there not, I mean, I can understand your frustration from, from what little I know of insulting I see or skepticism, but are there not people who actually use that leverage that, that consultants have for a good cause or for, you know, what usually I think there are. politics used to do? I think there are. I mean, I, I have a friend who is a consultant. Um, um, I mean, I call him a friend. He, might not know my name. Um, um, we know each other. Um, he, uh, uh, he's much wealthier than I am. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think he does really good work. Um, and, and, and he does actually have very strong opinions. Um, I think he's a principled guy. And he's actually been one of the, cons one of the uh, sort of Republican consultants who's been most sharply critical of, of Donald Trump precisely because um, he cares about actual policies and, and, and principles. That there are those, um, but um, there are, I, I feel that there are five to 10 who are less principled for every one like that. Mm -hmm. And what extent do you think that politicians hire political consultants for their prestige or just to leave it um, you know, to make them look credible? Because um, in this country, uh, at the last election, both Labour and Tories brought in um, Obama advisors. Right. And it's questionable how much they actually did, but they yeah. got a few stories in the papers about right. you know, Obama's people. Right. Well, um, that's the thing about, that's a, one very interesting thing about consultants, many of them, and I, I exclude some again, <laughs> but many of them don't actually do anything. It's great work. I want to be one. <laughs> um, for instance, um, the guy in my state who runs, runs would be a stretch, um, 
Donald Trump's campaign in South Carolina. And you can Google it and figure out who it is. Um, but I'll just not use his name out of politeness. Um, he didn't have to do anything. He, and he didn't do anything. Um, Trump was going to win. Um, Trump paid him um, $15,000 a month. Um, and he's still paying him that amount, as far as I know. Um, and he, he didn't do anything. Uh, um, in fact, and he had, he had a, he had a um, um, I mean, Trump was just going to fill stadiums because people were going to show up, and this guy gets to earn a lot of money. Um, he, um, and he had a, a, one of his friends write an op-ed in, in the newspaper about his genius strategy. There was no strategy. <laughs> he didn't do anything. And, and that's one of the things that I find really interesting about the consultant class is that it's a way people have found to make a lot of money by not actually doing anything and certainly not contributing in any way to the economy or to anyone's well-being apart from their own and their children's. Um, As a collective, it's unlikely that we would employ consultants, but do you think there would be a time when consultants look to us to help shape their messages? Um, I mean, uh, there's, there are some, there are some speechwriters who go, I mean, you can't be a speechwriter forever, is, is, the, is the thought. Um, it, at least in the U.S., um, people are always described as former speechwriters. <laughs> um, or, he used to be a speechwriter for so-and-so. Um, it's always in the past tense. And I think what often happens is, um, the, the work is so grueling, um, but what do you do after you're a speechwriter? Um, you either go work for another politician or, you know, something in, in the political sphere. Or, I mean, maybe you become a commentator or something, but many people go to work for these um, consulting firms, you know, as copywriters or whatever, and there's, it's probably a better life. You make better money, the hours are reasonable, and um, you don't have a um, egomaniac shouting at you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> decision to uh, to write and publish. In other words, that, yes. uh, to me that feels like a pretty big decision for it you, was. a career changer. So yeah. can you talk about that a little? Okay. Um, when, so, I, you know, like probably most of us, I'm, I'm a writer and I can't not write about things. I just have to. Um, so watch what you say. <laughs> um, <laughs> Almost immediately when I started working for Mark, I knew I had to write a book. Maybe not about him specifically, but something, because this is insane. Um, it, it's, it's funny, it's also really deeply sad, and, um, and just so very, very strange. It's not like a world that anyone lives in or recognizes is there. All they see is, the, you know, the, the very charming, um, seemingly humble um, statesman. Um, and it just all struck me as so funny. And um, I didn't, 
all I knew is um, I had a lot of stories, you know, anecdotes. I had um, pages and pages of them. Actually, it was a Google document that I kept open all the time. Um, <laughs> um, oh, that was a good one. Um, and um, so, but I didn't have a, um, I didn't know, I thought I would write a novel and just, you know, stick elements from here and there and, and it wouldn't exactly be him, you know, it would be um, a composite of different politicians I knew. Um, but then he did this thing um, where he, he disappeared, and which is the weirdest thing any politician has ever done. Um, and, and he came back and he didn't just do the normal press conference thing or say, you know, this is a private matter and, um, you know, we'll settle this um, between me and my wife or whatever. He cried um, for like 20 minutes. Um, so, I, and then I was in a situation where on the one hand, I couldn't like, I couldn't write it. Um, and, it, you know, you can't build a composite of someone like that. It's got to be him or no one. Um, um, on the other hand, I had a narrative now. Um, and it's such a good narrative. I mean, the, he, was, he was riding really high, and then he just hit bottom. Um, so it had to be about him. But that, that, was, that was tough for me because I didn't want to... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm someone, unlike many people in politics, um, I like to be liked. Um, I don't like to make enemies particularly. Um, and, and I knew I was going to have to write about some of my colleagues and some friends, and would they like it? Would they be really mad? In fact, some of them were initially, um, before they realized that I made them appear much better than they actually are. <laughs> um, particularly one or two cases. Um, um, somebody, um, somebody in, in the somewhere I forget who called um, the book. A, a warts and all treatment, I can assure you there are many warts that I didn't tell you about. Um, and so it, it was a process of just mainly not saying a lot of things, um, but saying enough to be interesting. And you notice it's only like 200 and so pages, it's a short book. Um, it would have been much longer if I would have put in all the nasty stuff. Um, but it still, was it still a real brief burner for you? Um, if I, I don't want to work in politics again, so that was taken care of, you know. <laughs> and um, it, there were a couple of people who got really angry about it, and people that I, I liked, and I would prefer that they not be angry about it. Um, and that just, it just had to be. Um, but it was tough, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one last question. Uh, stop one. I, I, I appreciate the reminder that we're all now executive communications consultants. Do you throw lobbying into that class? I mean, there, there are um, lobbyists I approve of, and there, and there, it's similar. It's sort of lobbying, sort of on the other side of it. Um, but there are there are lobbyists who um, basically spin failure. To their employers, you know, they go and they make a half-hearted effort to try to get some bill blocked or some bill passed. They don't succeed because they're idiots and they don't know how to do it. And they go back to their employer and they say, you know, we tried this and we tried, and they're mainly good at just um, seeming like they've done a lot of really expert stuff. But you know, we we were, you know, we got we got two votes in subcommittee. Um, 
so there are a lot who do that, and I think it's it's, it's all mixed up, and it's hard to say um, sometimes for me um, separate out the, the the nasty and the and the lazy from the from the good and, and productive. Thank you. Thank you.